Well, happy Reformation Sunday. It is also National Beer Sunday, which goes very well with Reformation Sunday. Luther would approve, I'm sure, as he was known for his love of beer. What prompted this Reformation was what we're talking about today. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Luther was burdened with his own lack of freedom and joy in the Lord and recognized that it was coming out of this performance culture that he was a part of uh, and one day took a stand against it, a very simplistic uh, presentation of what he did, but uh, took a stand against it and said, no more, this is not the gospel, this is not what uh, Jesus has done for us. It's much bigger, much better, much more glorious. And he preached the, uh, the righteousness of Christ and the justification of God's people and the freedom that they have from the traditions and the rules of men, the performance culture that they were a part of. Um, so the question becomes, for Luther, after the storming, now the norming, what does it look like to live as free people, as a freed people of God, uh, is Paul's question. Uh, the storming is to address the gospel issues that the Galatian churches were facing, to say to them, you have a distorted gospel that's changing how you live together, how you live in relation to God and how you live together as a community. You've created this performance culture, which is highlighted by Peter's great failure when people came from Jerusalem and he withdrew from his brothers and sisters who were, who were believers, but they were Gentiles, um, fearing what that party, what those people would say. So that the, that's the, the pinnacle of sort of the illustration uh, that Paul brings out. But the, the issue is this performance culture based on your salvation is dependent on your works. It's dependent on your obedience. It's dependent on uh, you getting in line with Jewish law, Jewish tradition, Jewish, Jewish ceremony. Um, the question becomes, now that we understand the gospel, now that we understand that there is none righteous, no, not one, that none of us earns our salvation and that our, our good works don't contribute to our salvation, uh, they don't form the basis or the ongoing nature of it. It's the Spirit's work within our lives. Uh, how are people freed in the gospel to live? Uh, this is Paul's uh, admonition in chapter 5. If you have Galatians opened, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. In the verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, which you can, you can imagine happening. Woohoo, I'm free. Let's go enjoy National Beer Sunday. Um, but through love, serve one another. So the, the point of freedom is not indulgence. The point of freedom is service. It's a bigger view of life than what I had. Uh, now adopted a child of God, I no longer live in fear of his reprisal or in fear of his judgment or in not satisfying him. Uh, so now I'm free. How am I going to use this freedom? And Paul directs that freedom into loving service of one another, into one anothering ministry. 
Uh, Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Um, But obviously, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. That's a whole different type of one anothering ministry. You have a one anothering ministry of service and love and uh, of, of community life in the gospel, and then you have a one anothering uh, experience of biting and devouring and competing and trying to one up each other and let's check the tally sheets and how you're doing, uh, you know, compared to how I'm doing. And uh, so Paul, Paul is contrasting that. Uh, which was very much the culture that the Galatian churches were were facing as this group within the church was trying to create that culture. Uh, Our text today is uh, Ephesians chapter... I'm sorry, Ephesians, good grief, Tim. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Now, we looked at verse 1 last week. I'm going to read the entire text and then kind of bring verse 1 back into the context uh, of the, the passage. So I'll read it from the screen. This is Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Uh, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you, notice the, the broadness there, right? Anyone, any transgression. You who are spiritual or you who have the Spirit and are walking in the Spirit uh, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The idea there of gentleness is of humility. Uh, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, this could be one of those texts that's like, whoa, Paul just told me to boast in something. He told me to boast in myself. How does that fit in the text? Um, He's talking about loads, um, loads I'm supposed to help others carry, loads I'm supposed to carry. The context really makes or breaks this text, okay? If we can understand the context of a performance culture, then we can hear what Paul is telling the Galatian church. And I I think that's really critical. I'll do my best to try and and bring out Paul's admonition as we go through it. But let's let's go through it. I think the lesson is that Christian community is defined by the humble ministry, at least one of the things that defines us. It's not all that defines us, but this is a key key part. Uh, Christian community is defined by the humble ministry of fellow believers committed to bearing the burdens of others. The humble ministry of fellow believers, brothers and sisters, uh, committed to bearing the burdens of others. Let me try and bring that out from the text, okay? Uh, the first thing, I, I don't think this is, this needs a lot of, let me show it to you. I think the first thing is, Paul says, this is how free people live. You want to ask the question, all right, now that I'm free, how do I live? Paul says, you, you're called to ministry. You're called to serve one another. Um, you're not free to indulge yourself. Uh, you're free now from the, from the tally sheets and the things like that so that you can enter into the world of broken people of which you are, uh, not, not the clean people ministering to the unclean people, but you can enter into the world of broken people and minister and serve and make a difference. Uh, you can actually have meaningful ministry in the lives of others. The gospel calls you to ministry. It calls you, first verse, to the ministry of restoration. And that's the emphasis. 
You see someone, anyone, overtaken in transgression. This is the idea of they've given in a temptation, you know, the this, this self-deception that travels with temptation, that, that we, we submit ourselves to it, we give in to it. Um, Paul says they're caught, um, not that you caught them, but that they're, you see them overtaken with this. You're to come alongside, you're to pursue restoring them uh, to faithfulness in their walk with Jesus. Um, keeping watch for yourself lest you also be tempted because this you're a broken person entering into someone else's brokenness there's always temptation to be critical of others or to be drawn into the same illicit temptation that they yielded themselves to but then he talks about and this it's not separate but it's more than verse one verse two is bear one another's burdens certainly when you enter into the life of a person who is struggling with sin and temptation, you are bearing their burden, right? You're, you're walking in and you're saying, wow, this has really taken over your life. You've got a drinking addiction or a substance abuse problem, or you've given in to sexual immorality, sexual temptations, or, or wow, you've really got an anger problem, or wow, you're using money inappropriately and now you're in debt. I'm going to come alongside, I'm going to enter into this problem with you. And I want to be your brother or your sister. I want to be encouraging you. I want to be speaking the gospel into your life. You call me when you want to go buy that new Louis Vuitton bag. If she makes bags, I don't know. Um, before you go buy that, call me. Let's talk about it. How is this going to satisfy your heart? Let's, let's preach the gospel to ourselves in this moment so that I can be a brother or sister to you in this moment. Okay? Um, not that you're going to call the guys in this church to help you when you want to buy a Louis Vuitton bag. But you get the point. Okay? Uh, I want to be a brother or sister to you. I want to help. Uh, don't go at life alone. Don't face temptations alone. It's not good for man to be alone. That's why God created community. And the church, the people of God, are a means of grace to us as we face temptations. So let me just time out. If you're facing temptations right now, and you aren't talking about them, you aren't confessing them, and bringing them out into the open, I don't care what it is. You might be struggling with same-sex attraction or, or massive debt or things that bring shame into your life. If you're not talking about them, you've already lost the battle. You have to bring these things into the light. There is grace in the light. There is no grace in hiding. And so if you're sitting here and you have a spouse that is struggling with sin and you're hiding it, you're covering it, you're not telling anybody because it brings shame into your life, it's time to stop. And call an elder or a pastor here and say, I need help. There's no grace in hiding. There's grace in the light. If we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship. So, we're called to a ministry of support. We're called to come alongside those who are struggling with sin, but this is broader. It broadens the, the setting. Specifically, it's, it's coming alongside people who have things that they're carrying that they cannot and should not carry alone. 
These are the burdens that are too heavy for life. Someone going through a divorce. Someone who's had to confront their spouse for their sin, and their spouse has not repented. They've turned away. They've fought it. And now it's ended in a divorce, and this person should not be doing this alone. But it's more than that. It's children. This is why we take vows when our children come into the church, because we're, the children are too big a burden for one person or even two people to carry. It, it, the community brings grace into this situation. There's times when other members can watch the kids so that the couple can actually have time alone. There's times when young parents need the counsel of older parents. There's time when there just needs to be a field day and we just let the kids run and burn up all their energy. And the parents can have a little mini conversation over here. There's burdens that we come alongside each other to carry that are too great for us to do on our own. It's the community of believers ministering the grace of God to those who are experiencing deep loss, like the loss of a 50-year marriage through death. The physical limitations that some people face in this life, receiving support from the healthy, the spiritual weaknesses that we face, the spiritual struggles that we face. It's a ministry of coming alongside, of bearing up under others and this is a challenge for us and i'm gonna see if i can if i when you're in a performance culture odd people don't fit when you're in a performance culture odd people don't fit because the performance culture is the clean community it's the righteous community and if you don't fit into that then you're kind of odd, and you're kind of left outside. That's not the community of Christ. That's not the gospel. That's not the kingdom. That's not Jesus. Jesus went to the odd people. He went to the broken people. He went to sinners in the midst of the clean community, the outcasts, the ones that were despised. It's Peter who's withdrawing from Gentiles. It's not Jesus. And it shouldn't be Christians. We bear up under each other. We bear up under each other's oddities, personalities, cleanness and uncleanness. Because we love. Because we're no longer burdened by the pride of our performance. This is the gospel call. It calls us to ministry. It calls us to be patient with each other. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It calls us to be patient with each other, to endure each other's uniquenesses. Okay, weirdnesses. All right. It allows us to bear up under that. It allows us to bear up under the weakness and the uniqueness of our spouse or of our children. It allows us to come alongside and love them, even though they don't fit maybe our narrative or our story or our image of ourselves. Gospel calls us to ministry. It calls us to bear up and to bear the burdens of others. But it does more than that. It calls us to sacrifice. And look how, look how Paul says this. He says, bear one another's burdens. That's a sacrifice. That's going to require something of you, isn't it? 
it's going to require that you die to self. It's going to require that, that you're not focused on yourself, your image, your identity, and how this person is relating to you. Or how this person and relating to this person affects your image. My wife reminds me all the time, Tim, whatever you put on Facebook reflects on me. Well, that's a reality. It's a reality that I need to be careful with as a husband. I don't want to shame, do something that's going to shame my wife. I don't want to do something that's going to embarrass my wife all the time. There are some times when it's kind of fun. But, you know, I, I want to be sensitive and caring to her. But it's, it's also on her to say, Tim, I love you, and, and I know you didn't mean to, so I'm going to endure that. It's a sacrifice. It's service. It's death to self. And what does Paul say about this? It fulfills the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Make this sacrifice. And so bring to completion the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ here, it's funny that he uses the word law. You're not laughing. Well, he's been talking about the law this whole, pa- this whole letter. You guys think you're going to keep the law? Go for it. Let's see how it goes. Anyone who tries to, to keep the law is actually under a curse. So keep the law of Christ. It's really ironic that he would choose that word. It probably means the rubric of Christ more than the law. But what did Jesus command us in John 13 and Matthew 22 What is the command that fulfills the law of God? All the law is fulfilled in two words. Love God, love your neighbor. And this is what Jesus taught. And this is why Paul can say, all that matters, the only thing that counts, is faith expressing itself in love, which is the theme of our series. All that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Paul talks about bringing the law into its completion when we focus on loving others. We focus on giving ourselves away to others and learning what it means to live sacrificially in one another's lives, which is always a struggle in the covenant community. This is what Paul says in his great love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind. Notice this language and see if it fits into Galatians. Love does not envy or boast. What did Paul say? Just the verse verse above, verse 26. Let us not become conceited or prideful, provoking and envying one another. Love is the opposite of pride. It is the opposite of self. It is death to self. It is freed from trying to create my image, trying to create my identity. It's finding that in Jesus in being freed now to go and love and serve others. Love defines the tribe of Christ. Love defines the people of God. But then he tells us to boast, and I think that's interesting For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Look at the last part of that verse. Not in his neighbor. 
Guys, that part tells you what Paul's talking about. Because the Galatians were going around, they, this is the way Paul says it, these teachers have come and they want to make much of you. They want you to make much of them. So they're going to exclude you or they're going to, or they're going to flatter you or they're going to try and get you into their club, into their tribe, into their performance model so that they can boast, I've got another follower. How many Instagram follower, followers do I have today? How many people have made my teaching their teaching? And so that you will make much of them. So that you will go, oh, I can't believe this person is so wise. Look how obedient this person is. Look how much this person follows God. This is what's happening in the context. And Paul wants to say, stop comparing yourself with others. He who compares himself to others is not wise. Stop comparing yourself to others. That at its root is the performance culture. It's the tally. Who's doing better in their life? Who's raising their kids better? Who's making better decisions? Who's spending their money wisely? Who's, I mean, I mean, go down the list that you've made. I've made my own. Okay. Go down the list you've made. When we compare ourselves with our neighbors, sometimes we'll have a reason to boast. My lawn is in better shape than my neighbor's. I can say that because it's absolutely not true. My neighbor doesn't have a weed in their lawn. I think that's all mine is at this point. But there's, you can find reasons. My car is nicer than yours. My job is more whatever. My marriage is better. My kids are better. You might find a reason to boast, but if you're comparing yourself with your neighbor, you're not wise. So test your own work. Examine it. And see if there's reason to boast. I think he's, he's challenging us to do what very few of us do. And that is to truly test and examine our own lives. But not against our neighbor, but against the person that we've been drawn to. The person of Christ, who full, fully obeyed the law of God. Right? There's no sin in his life. When you compare yourself to him, how you doing? Now you might, here's the off chance, you might find something that you're like, wow, look at the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I've tested my work, I found this beautiful thing called self-control present, wow. Yeah, but it's, it, it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the fruit of you. And so that's why Paul says at the end of this book, in, in chapter 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should boast. Folks, if you see anything good in your life, you need to turn around and say, Father, thank you. That's grace. That's grace. Paul asked it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you haven't received? And if you've received it, then how can you boast in it? What do we have to boast in except the grace of God? And what's really cool is if you do a broader study, I think this is one of your discussion questions, if you do a broader study of the times that Paul did boast, he boasts in his sacrifice. 
He says, I sacrifice for you, and I want to boast in that. I rejoice in that. 2 Corinthians. But almost every time he talks about boasting, it's in the presence of God, and it's about God's people. I'm boasting in you. In fact, in one passage, in 2 Corinthians 1.14, he says the day's going to come when we're all standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to boast in you, and you're going to boast in me. Paul envisions a time when we all, as God's people, stand before the Lord and rejoice and boast in each other and in the work of grace that God has accomplished and the fruit that it bore in the kingdom of God and in the life of one another. Man, I was, Father, I just want to tell you the story. I was really struggling. And this brother came into my life and ministered to me, and you used him to rescue me from my temptations, from stupid decisions I was making. Thank you, Father. Did you know about that story? And, you know, like a good father, he's going to be smiling the whole time, like, yeah, I orchestrated that whole thing, man. That was awesome. But the point is that, that when Paul talks about standing in the presence, he envisions a day when we stand before God and rejoice together in each other. When we rejoice as a community at the ministry of East Cobb Presbyterian Church to send missionaries. We don't, we don't pat ourselves on the back. We don't just, wow, look how God used us. He blessed us with all this wealth and these good jobs and look how we invested it look what god accomplished through that look what god accomplished when we ministered to see a need meet a need when we use see a need meet a need and ministered to people who will never know our names but they were helped by our church think about the people who are serving right now in our children's ministry who are teaching the gospel to our children you probably don't even know their names their names are in your bulletin but can you boast in them can we boast in our school and the ministry it's having to East Cobb, to the children of East Cobb, and to the parents who attend? Folks, we have so much to glory in, to boast about God's grace in our lives in. Paul envisions that day when stripped of pride, nothing but rejoicing in the goodness of the grace of God, we stand before the throne and boast in each other. And that's worth sacrificing for. That's worth putting off today's desires for the glory that is to come. Finally, the gospel calls us to humility. Um, Paul underscores the danger of pride. Uh, this is pride versus uh, humility. Um, it call, the gospel calls us to walk humbly. And we sang about that earlier this morning. Um, Paul says you, it's dangerous if you think you're something when in fact you're nothing. And um, one commentator said we should all pause at that moment and ask the question, do we really believe we're nothing apart from the grace of God? It's not self-humiliation. Um, uh, you know, self it's recognizing that we are creatures, that he is the creator, that we are sinners and that he is the righteous one, that we are in need of grace and he is the dispenser of grace. Instead of thinking that we're something, which is what the gifts of God tend to do. They tend to blind us into thinking that we have more meaning than we do. Because we focus on the gifts instead of the giver. And now we're unable to sympathize with others. 
Now we're unable to minister to others. I sat down with a millennial this last week or a couple weeks ago and just listened to them explain what life has been like for them. And I'm, I'm outside that millennial. I think I'm generation Y. I don't know why or X or whatever it is, but whatever generation I am, right, 48, you can tell me later, the millennials have grown up in a totally different world than I've grown up with in a totally different perspective about their income, about their retirement, and about their futures. They have grown up with cell phones. I remember when cell phones came out and I got my first one. It was a massive, massive phone. You could not put it on your, in your pocket, certainly not on your belt. It looked like an army uh, radio. That was cell phones. Millennials have grown up in a completely different culture than I grew up in. I grew up in a culture rooted in Judaic, Judaic Christian values, whatever that means. But that was the you know, morality, not subjectivity, not relativism. They have grown up in relativism. And to listen to them and try and put myself in their shoes and what they're experiencing in life was challenging. But it should garner sympathy, not criticism. It should garner humility and a willingness to come alongside instead of thinking that I'm all that and a bag of chips. If you've never heard that phrase, I'll explain it later. Okay. So Paul calls us to, to test our own work, to be honest, to look in the mirror of the law of God, to look in the mirror of Christ, not in the mirror of our neighbor. He calls us to walk in, before God in humility and to find our boast in the grace of God and in that to bear our own load to find grace from Christ for the things that we're responsible for and to find grace from Christ in the community that he has placed us and so he says but let's, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own backpack. This is a sense of personal responsibility that we have with Christ, not what we put on our neighbors, not what we, how we try and create tally sheets with each other. Let me make some applications. God has grace for burdens. I, I don't think there's any, any text of Scripture that wouldn't support this, but certainly passages like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful. He will provide for you, will provide a way of escape. The God is faithful is the important part. Same thing with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 5 and 15, and through, uh, verse 15 through 16, where he says uh, that we have rights to come into the throne room of grace to receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. There is grace for you, whatever your need. There is help from God. Most of the stress you're experiencing is probably rooted in your performance culture. The one that you created at home. The one that lives in your heart as a sinful human being that struggles to understand and live in the grace of God. There is grace, there is help, there is mercy, there is goodness for people. There is grace for those who are bearing burdens, grace for those who are bearing the burdens of others. If you're saying things like, I just want out of this relationship, God has grace for that. 
If you're saying, I don't know what to do with these children, God has grace for that. I don't want to confront this person with what I see in their life. God has grace for that. God has grace for burdens. Whether they're heavy loads that you can't carry by yourself, or whether they're small backpacks that God is sustaining you through, God has grace. He has not left you alone. If you walk humbly before him, he has grace for you. This is the promise of Jesus Christ, your Savior, to you. I will not leave you alone. He sent his Spirit within us to minister all the benefits of Jesus to us. He gives grace to the humble. He does not, I say he doesn't, um, those who are critical and judgmental and competitive and comparing themselves with others have cut themselves off from grace because God does not give grace to the proud. He humbles the proud so that he can give them grace. God doesn't humble the proud because he delights in humbling the proud. He humbles the proud because he delights in giving grace. But he gives grace to the proud. Uh, he gives grace to the humble. It's pride that prevents us from enjoying the presence and the ministry of God in and through his people and in and through his word and his spirit. People are messy. All people are messy. This is not a statement of, oh, you know, the pastors get together and look out and say, oh, people are messy. <laughs> right? um, people are messy that includes me and if you get involved in my life and I get involved in your life we're going to see mess there's grace for that there's grace for that people are messy and if you're going to have ministry guess what you're going to get some mess on you it's just the nature of it You're going to get messed with. You're going to get contaminated. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be forced to be patient. You're going to have to sacrifice. People are messy. And life with people is messy. It's hard. I love people who come to the church and say, oh, I love the church. The church is awesome. Give it time. Seriously, give it time. <laughs> Church is messy because people are messy. That's what grace is for. We can only love each other and minister the grace of God to each other with the towel of mercy. If we drop our performance culture, live in the grace of God for us, live as messy people with messy people. This is exactly what our Savior did, isn't it? So Paul says about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, the glory of the Most High. He didn't want, I'm going to keep this, I've got to have this for myself. No, he was willing to say, I, I can let go of that. And he came to earth and became a man, robed himself in humanity 
And, and beyond that, he became an obedient man for all, the un, uh, for all the disobedient men and women. He became the obedient one. And beyond that, he became a servant ministering the grace of God to messy people. And it's because of this that God has highly exalted him because he did this to the point where it took his life. And he yielded it willingly. Folks, this is, this is your Savior. This is how your Savior has ministered to you, how he has served you, how he has lived his life for you, how he has given his life for you. Jesus knows you're messy. And he's willing to walk right into that with his grace and love you and be patient with you, forgive you, welcome you, transform you. And that's the kind of ministry that defines the church. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we delight in you. We delight in what you've done for us and what you've modeled for us. It is beyond our ability. I don't think anyone here could, could say, well, that's what I'm doing. It's beyond our ability to live this way. Free us from our performance culture, from our competitive comparisons. Free us to live in the grace that you've provided for us, the love that you have for us. Free us to then turn and use that freedom to love and serve others, to give our lives away, to bear up under the messiness of life and of one anothering. We want our church to glorify you in East Cobb. We want your name to be famous. And it's not by how big we get. And it's not by all the things that we do. It's by how we love our neighbors in the mercy and grace that we've received. Enable us to do that for the glory of Christ, for the fame of his name. 